Welcome to a very special episode of the Guaranteed Irish Business Podcast recorded live in the Stella Theatre in Ranelagh. This week, we pass the reins to guest host Bernard Jackman to discuss the business of sport with an exciting panel of experts. The Guaranteed Irish Business Podcast, supported by FBD Insurance, Ireland's largest homegrown insurer. Support, it's what we do. My name is Bernard Jackman. Um, I think Breed and the team at Guaranteed Irish are, are very brave to let me ask the questions. I remember back when I was in Irish camp with a guy called Eddie O'Sullivan who coached Ireland and I put my hand up in a meeting and I said, Eddie, uh, can I ask a stupid question? Better than anyone I know, he said. So um, uh, they're, they're very good to give me the confidence um, to do this and hopefully we'll have a good chat. We're going to have about 35 minutes uh, discussion around the correlate, or sport and business, the business of sport. And then we'll open up to the floor for some questions. And it's an area I'm fascinated in myself. Um, when I retired in 2010, I went back and did a thesis uh, on the correlation between high performance behavior and sport and business. And I went traveling the world. I went to Toyota uh, in, in Tokyo. I went to Amazon, Seattle, the IMG Tennis Academy in Florida, uh, Just Eat in London, where a startup at the time, uh, Man United, Sydney Swans, the All Blacks, um, and lots of different places. And, and every year now, I try and go away somewhere to to a company or a business I admire to try and see why they're successful. And um, I'm going down to Skibbereen actually in two weeks' time down to the rowing club because that's now a mecca of high-performance sports. So the best rowing coaches in the world are coming to Skibbereen to see what the secret is. And they're expecting this massive facility with state-of-the-art technology and it's actually, there's nothing there. It's a, it's a shed with, a, with weights that are welded together, but there's something special there. Um, and it's created by the people in Skibbereen who've created this culture of performance. And uh, um, we've got a great panel today to talk about their businesses, their experience in sport, uh, and the insights and things that they've learned. So I'd just like to start by introducing Senna. Senna Nupu, obviously, um, you, you know her from your screens in, on Virgin BBC, uh, played for Ireland, won a Six Nations with Ireland in 2015. Uh, Jack Malloy um, is back in his family business, uh, Azuri down in Waterford, a real success story, um, and I'll let him speak about that in a minute. And then Ross Spurn obviously just won a, a Grand Slam with Ireland. Um, bit of pressure on him to steer Leinster home in the next, next month, um, but he's well able for pressure. Uh, and an entrepreneur in his own right, obviously starting up a, a company called Starfolio. So I might just start with you, Senna, um, and get this part out of the way first, the rugby. Um, you know, this weekend, obviously Ireland play England. Uh, in 2015, you were part. You made your debut for Ireland. And were part of that Six Nations win for Ireland. It's a different landscape at the moment um, for for the, for the guards who are playing. But where do you see that in um, that going that over the next couple of years for this Irish team? Yeah. Um, before I answer that, Brendan, thank you very much for the intro. And I also just want to um, acknowledge and thank Rita and John and everyone for having me here today. It's really is a privilege to be on this panel and to listen to your story at the start and to sit alongside these two gents. So thanks for having me. Um, Irish women's rugby in the 15 cents is at the start of its journey. Um, so it is a challenging time when, when other unions are at different phases, but um, really, really important and exciting opportunity for those who um, have the opportunity to train their hearts out and, and play for Ireland on the world stage. So um, pretty much it's, uh, yeah, we're in a different phase compared to other, other countries. Okay, and before you, you're doing what you're doing now, you set up your own, your own business, a fitness business, and you want to tell us about starting that and, <coughs> and you know, where that ended up and, and obviously what you're doing now. Yeah, um, very quickly, so I'm, I'm Probably don't look Irish. I, I would. <laughs> I'm a New Zealand-born uh, Samoan, first generation, and I would consider myself now Irish. I feel, feel very, very um, 
humbled and privileged to have lived in Ireland for over 10 years um, and in some ways sort of earned the right to then um, represent Ireland. So I hope that's okay with you in this room. You've more than earned a right, yeah. <laughs> um, um, so I wanted to give you that context because um, I came over here originally uh, uh, because of my ex-husband's work at the time as a professional player. And so I've been very fortunate to immerse myself in communities across New Zealand, Japan, UK, Ireland. And uh, with me along that journey, I've, already, I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and I've always had that uh, sense of community and connection everywhere I went. And so when we did come to Ireland, uh, December 2009, for six months, then we went to Japan for a year and came back to Ireland for another six and a half seasons. Um, it was at the, the start of our second time coming back to Ireland that I felt a genuine sense of, you know, I abs we absolutely love this country and this place and town, and we just felt that it's the right place to sort of set up something like a business, a small, very, very small business that we ended up franchising across the country, but a business that would bring together a, a small community, um, and it was a sports-inspired fitness class at the time, um, and it was the class that I owed my comeback to rugby. I thought I'd retired and I thought I was ready for the next phase of my life at that stage and um, saw a Talent ID uh, advertisement from Irish Rugby on Facebook and I thought, oh, doesn't matter if I'm one of the oldest girls in that um, Toronto, I'll have it, give it a go. So, um, yeah, it was because of that um, fitness sort of business that I set up back then in Galway um, that was able to not only bring together hundreds of um, people in the community of Galway and throughout the country, but also um, we were able to raise thousands and thousands of, of euros for charity as well. So those sorts of things kind of lent itself to me wanting to then represent the community. Um, Connacht first, and then obviously Galwegians first, um, Sevens programme, Fifteens game, uh, Touch Rugby a little bit later, so I'm very, very uh, humbled to represent Ireland in three sports over the last few years. Um, and so that company itself and the foundation and principles and all of that sort of stuff, community, connection, having the crack, it actually lent itself to um, my experience and immersing community throughout my playing career um, for Leinster as well, Old Belvedere, Harlequins, Exeter Chiefs for a short, short stint, um, and then obviously in the Irish jersey, but certainly uh, in my work in global strategic projects, um, and some of the work that we're able to then align ourselves with global governing bodies, national governing bodies to support our high performance programs and to really support environments where girls and women have an equal opportunity to sport and to truly be their best selves and thrive. Um, Long-winded answer of a buddy scene shape that started about 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Jack? I remember you in DCU a long time ago. Um, tell us about your journey to being sales director of Azuri. Yeah, um, bit of a bit of a roller coaster since then, I suppose. Um, I, I wasn't always involved with the, with the family business. Um, fortunately, I was able to to take some time after after DCU to uh, pursue other things. I used to work up in a company called Currency Fair. Um, we were involved in um, kind of a peer to peer peer to peer foreign exchange. Worked with Oracle in Dublin for a long time, and then and then I was able to do some travel. I was only talking with Cine before this, so I, I lived over in New Zealand as well. So. Uh, yeah, um, and then kind of coming to the end of that that stint, um, had some conversations uh, with my father, and the, the the opportunity and the timing kind of seemed right to come back and and uh, help the family kind of drive things on within the business, and uh, it's been a great decision, and that's where the kind of the roller coaster part kind of comes into it because uh, 
my involvement with the company has predominantly been, you know, for the last five years, which has been a significant period, you know, especially because of COVID and all the changes and the, uh, the I don't have to explain it, you know, um, uh, how we had to adapt and try different things. And yeah, and here we are five years later, we're, we're still going, we're, we're growing our market share and uh, things have been, been really positive, been, been a challenging period, but uh, just been loving it all the way. Um, you mentioned COVID there and having to change and adapt. Yeah. Can you just, I suppose, give us a little bit more information on what the kind of changes you made yeah. that has affected your business now? Sure. Um, well, obviously, when, when, it all, when it all first kicked off, we went home. Everybody was going to take some significant time off. But we thought, look, how can we do to, what can we do to help the situation? So we, we developed a, a spec for a reusable, reusable mask. And it was the first one to hit the market. So what we did was we started giving them out for free. I think we gave out roughly 15,000 masks for free over maybe a three or four week period. And then from that, we caught the attention of Enterprise Ireland, who were working with the HSE because the HSE couldn't uh, find a mask uh, you know, to save their soul. So what we did was we, we, we developed a, a secondary business called Apparel Supply, which was making masks exclusively for the HSE all down in Waterford as well. I think at the height of it, they were making about 100,000 masks a day. Um, and here we are now again, I think maybe about a year and a half later, the plant is still going. So there's actually two businesses running side by side, doing, uh, making very different products. I'm not so involved in that, but at the time, um, we, were, we were making masks also for industry. So you would have pharmaceutical com companies coming to us looking for branded masks that were up to a certain spec. Then sports started to come back and we had this funny world of half making masks on the floor and half making jerseys, uh, you know, so it was really, uh, you didn't know if you were coming or going some days, you know, um, but it was it, it was a significant period of change. And yeah, really proud of the way we adapted and handled it and we've become a, a better company for it. Brilliant. It's very much a family business. Oh, very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think at the in the last year at one stage, there was five of us working. Um, uh, I actually had to, to manage my sister directly at one point as well, which was a bit of crack, you know. Yeah, uh, there was one guy who sat in between us in the office, and I think uh, both the ears were chewed off him, you know, by the time uh, before uh, Jessica's actually gone back to New York now. But no, we, uh, we, we, all, got on, we all got on pretty well. Um, some of us are working in the other business now as well. Um, fortunately, we all just kind of leave work at the door at five o'clock. You, you, you kind of have to, you know. Um, but yeah, very much a family business. And some of the people who have been working there have been there for best part of 20 years, so they're like family as well, you know, everyone there is very much uh, Team Missouri, that's what we always say, which is a nice way to kind of um, uh, describe the company, especially when we work in, uh, in the sports industry, you know, so uh, yeah, yeah, uh, great staff, great people, and family's getting bigger, thankfully, you know. Brilliant. Ross, you're involved in three teams at the moment, well, probably more, but Leinster, Ireland, and your, your new startup, Starfolio. Um, have you not enough pressure in your life that you need to add a, a, a start a new business? Um, congratulations on what you've done over the last year and obviously best of luck for what's coming in the future. Uh, entrepreneurship, where'd you get the bug? You know, what's driving you to try and do this while you're, while you're obviously still at the, the peak of your powers? Yeah, like obviously I think our, I suppose as a fresh road player, like your schedule is very busy, particularly when you're involved with, with Leinster and Ireland, but I think it's always good to have something away from rugby, you know what I mean? Because like there's a lot of, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, but I think there's a lot of times where over the last few years when I wasn't involved in anything, I'd finished college um, and I was only focused on rugby and you'd be worried about selection, you wouldn't get picked, you'd have a bad game and you'd only be thinking about that. Whereas I think when Starfolio, when we came up with that and started working on that a lot more, if something went bad, 
you'd be working on that, you take away from it, and then you'd be able to go back to rugby. So if anything, it's probably helped my rugby career, sure. I would say, because I think it's important to have a bit of a balance. Otherwise, I think it can completely consume you, particularly the higher up the level you go. Um, and I suppose where it probably came from was like, I suppose my dad's always been pretty entrepreneurial um, and he's always been involved in business. And I suppose he was always encouraging me to, when I'd finished college, to go do something else. And I was kind of, I wouldn't be a big studier. Um, so I suppose trying to avoid any masters as long as I kind of could or anything like that. So um, my older brother, Michael, um, we were kind of chatting and I suppose we kind of came up with this and I said, well, kind of be a bit of a real life masters. Um, so it's been brilliant so far. Um, I suppose to give a quick background on what it Absolutely, is, it's, yeah. um, we're a marketplace platform that connects uh, brands and fans with stars and stars range from sports stars to social media influencers, chefs, um, musicians, comedians, anything like that. And I suppose for brand, like if a brand is looking for a, a brand ambassador or someone to go out and do a photo shoot, they connect with the star on the platform. It's all booked and paid through the platform. And I suppose we also offer a lot of other different things like master classes. Like I have this uncle, he like constantly gets on to me. Like every three months he'll be like, Ross, I have a client. Uh, would you go do a kicking session with his son or daughter? I'm like, yeah, no problem. But I mean, I suppose that kind of triggered something as well. Was how can, I suppose, we make this more available for people because if you don't know someone, how do you do that? But also, how can, how can I monetize that as well? Obviously, sure. it was a big thing. So I suppose that's a big thing we offer, you know what I mean? Like mass classes, whether it's chefs coming to your house, cook a meal, or if it's a rugby player or a cricketer or a hurler, whatever it is. Um, and then also stuff like personal video messages and Zoom sessions. So I suppose we're really trying to bridge the gap between fans, brands, big, small brands, and then I suppose who they consider stars in their eyes. And what's been the biggest challenge you've faced so far in terms of getting it to where it is now? Um, and has there been anything in your sporting career that has probably helped you deal with that? Uh, yeah, there's probably, like, there's been loads of challenges. I suppose something that's kind of similar and different, like in, I suppose in rugby you have, you play a game, you know what I mean? You build up the focus for the weekend, then it's done. You're on to the next game. Whereas I suppose in business I found that you're playing up for something and then nothing happens for three months, you know what I mean? As in, so you're kind of, you could be waiting for it and then the game day is three, six months down the line. So that's probably something I found a bit of a challenge at the start. Um, and also, I suppose, something in, in Leinster, you know what I mean, if particularly play out half, you're kind of the one who's leading the week. Whereas I suppose when I went into different meetings with about tech, which I know nothing about, I was kind of sitting there going, geez, I feel kind of a bit redundant here, you know what I mean? So I, I probably had to take a bit of a step back and kind of trust everyone else to do their thing, which probably helped me in rugby as well. Um, probably was made me way better at probably delegating and trusting other people's opinions. Um, but I suppose the, the biggest challenge we probably found is probably trying to educate people on, because it's quite a new idea, you know what I mean? And people always go, oh, you're an agency. We're, like, we're not an agency. You know I mean, I'm, I'm with Navy Blue, and we've kind of probably had to educate brands how it works and do a lot of hand-holding, which is absolutely perfect. We're happy to do it. But um, there's been lots of ups and downs, but so far it's, it's been brilliant. Brilliant. And what's the next step? What's the... The next three months, what's the big, the big challenge or big goal? So obviously we're, we're in Ireland actively at the moment, but um, we're signing up a lot of UK uh, stars and brands. And we're, we haven't actually, I suppose, been live in the UK, but over the summer we're uh, looking to do a big push in the UK. And uh, we have a few big um, marketing plans in the next couple of months, which everyone will hopefully see. Okay, great. Jack, Azuri, what's, what's on your, on your to-do list? God, uh, where do I start? <laughs> no, I think the, um, the, one of the biggest challenges for us is when you're working, uh, making sportswear. The unique thing is that if we make an order yesterday and then we make another one today, 
they have, they're completely different from one another, you know? So if I make a set of jerseys for Leinster, you know, um, it's completely different to the jersey that we made that day. So the, the, the intricacies and the administration, the attention to detail um, was, was something that we really, had to, we really had to develop our internal processes so that we could, you know, make sure everything was done correctly. Um, because every order is different to the one that comes before that, to the ones that comes before that. Because we knew we had, a, we had a great product, we knew we had, we had a, a great customer service, um, but you can't be everything to everybody and, uh, you know, kind of trying to make this for that person, this for that person, and doing it without sticking to an internal process. So over the last five years, um, what we've really been trying to focus on is how we can do things better internally, you know, control the controllables. And since we've done that, we've really, really uh, fixed up our, our, our lead times and, um, and our, our attention to detail, our products have become a lot better. And that's, you know, Ireland is a small place. If one team gets a set of jerseys and they're happy with it, you know, the one town over, even if the clubs hate each other, uh, will actually turn around and go, oh God, yeah, they're lovely. We want some of those as well, you know? Now, there are a lot of competitors in the country um, who are all going to say, oh yeah, we offer good products and all that kind of thing. But what they want is a good turnaround, quality product and a good turnaround time um, with, that's hassle-free. You know, and that's what we kind of pride ourselves on at the moment. You know, we take all that pain away from the customer, and the more we focus on that, the more we can actually get new business. You know, sure. um, and that's been the, the biggest challenge in the last two years, and it's it's always going to be continuous. You know, because just when you think you have something right, you got to go back and look at something else because this customer wants that or they want this, and then you, you have to adjust your process to fix that. And um, you know, the the family element always comes back into it because you'll always be kind of trying to sneak things, you know, under, around, or over the process, and then someone comes up to you and says, no, stop that, you know, because that leads to mistakes. And that's what we need to do. So, yeah, we've just been focusing on that for the last, particularly in the last two years, and it's really helped. It's really helped, you know, um, and just trying to grow the market share, you know. As I said, Ireland, Ireland is a small country. Uh, it's predominantly GA that we do. I don't know if I'm allowed to say GA in the middle of three mm. professional rugby no, players. No, 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 no. Uh, but, yeah, um, you know, you, uh, it's a... In a, in a, it's the it's the most predominant sport in the country, um, so uh, trying to grab that market is, is is really critical. And then you get the other things. You get the soccer clubs, the rugby clubs, basketball, uh, anything and everything. Athletics, badminton, schools, you name it. You know. So, uh, as I said, just focusing on the internal process has has uh, really exposed us to the wider market by being better ourselves. And in terms of those internal processes, do you think it helped you a lot, not going straight from university home? And going to work for oh absolutely for yeah. companies you work for yeah. how how hard has it been to readapt to I suppose a family business that's successful that sometimes things are set in stone yeah I, I think uh, it's it's been a journey you know I remember when I was in uh, when I was in Oracle I went into a meeting once my manager said right Jack give me an update on on, the, on this project and I said uh, oh it's in a, it's in a good place yeah and it's moving along it's coming along nicely and uh, and he was he was from the Netherlands and they, they don't mess around you know and he, and, he, uh, and, he, and he goes to me Jack you opened your mouth and you just said nothing <laughs> what, what what's going on and I said yeah I suppose I kind of did say nothing there didn't I you know um, but you know it was y y all these things uh, but if I hadn't been let's say you know playing rugby myself over the years been getting criticism there and been taking it on board uh, maybe I wouldn't have uh, taken that on a board with Oracle as well as much. So by the time I, I went into working with Azuri, having been with Currency Fair and Oracle, I was able to take all those things and, you know, give give constructive criticism and also take constructive criticism and not not take it personally, you know. So it's been it's been a real journey and it all starts with coming from sports to going working off in an independent business and taking the learnings from there and applying it to our own, you know. But yeah, ma massively, massively different culture, particularly Oracle, who are one of the, the biggest software companies in the world. But there's always learnings you can apply, you know, definitely. Um, and I think, yeah, 
uh, one of the ones that uh, stuck with me the most was yeah, yeah, getting called out there, you know, and uh, you know, <laughs> making sure I've got something to say and uh, you know, show where we are, where we intend to be, and where we've come from. Perfect, Sene. Um, spoke about learnings there. What learnings did you have in your in your sporting career that you think is helping you now in your in your new career? And you can just maybe give us an insight into the projects you're involved in at the moment. Yeah, great question. I'm so inspired by these guys. Jeez, Fizz, I'm sure you guys are as well. I could listen to you all day. Um, uh, there's a number of different roles, and I think uh, a lot of the learning, certainly for me, and I will sort of dive into a few of them, not not all of them, but. Um, I suppose, so there's a number of few roles that I do, which is actually, there's an art to having to navigate and deliver in different um, forms. And I'll give you just a quick example, just to give you context. Um, there's an area of broadcasting that I'm involved in. Um, I recently worked the World Cup in New Zealand and I'm working the Six Nations campaign now uh, for BBC and Virgin. So that's sort of one dynamic of a front facing of a campaign that I'm also, uh, behind the scenes on a on a you know campaign and sort of global strategic project um, to support what the game needs to look like from a woman's perspective, uh, on top of another piece of work which is a DE and I um, consultancy across uh, national and global organisations. I was in Germany last week and um, and also sort of last week with our um, ERC as well in the World Employment Federation. So a lot of different types of organisations towards the same kind of principle around just equal opportunity for girls and women in sport to be their best and thrive. So across those three elements, there's an art to kind of navigating how I then deliver in the moment. So sorry, it probably sounds really confusing and sometimes it is for myself. But um, when you ask me about the learnings from sport and then being able to deliver off the pitch in that sense, I think first and foremost, um, just being yourself. I think in the moment, you know, like you, you sort of play the moment in front of you, but being yourself um, and being my authentic self has actually um, got me into rooms that I, I didn't expect to get in or got me around a table I didn't expect to get around purely because I was just so passionate about something that is a human right, um, sort of basic human right in terms of, you know, girls and women and sport and business, um, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, and what that's done is it's meant that, you know, the future now of business is ensuring that that's what your governance and leadership looks like, you know, from a rugby perspective, um, you know, being myself and being passionate about making sure across the different unions and obviously some unions are doing incredible and some have to do the work, which is fine, they acknowledge that, but just around sort of, you know, uh, governance and leadership uh, competition structures, which I'm really sort of fascinated about as a bit of a um, sports nerd, um, commercial programs to underpin. And we've got FP, we've got our sponsor here that have underpinned this event today. So exactly, you know, that, strategic relations, which is also what I do. Um, and then you've got uh, personal development programs for athletes off the pitch. What does that look like for their weekly schedule? Um, and then also just, uh, you know, an environment that can improve quality of coaching and, you know, encourage that kind of knowledge share across, whether it's a decentralised or a centralised model in a club game to support the high performance model. So I'll stop talking nerd chat, but um, there's a whole bunch of jargon that I find really, really fascinating. I'm doing a prof doc, professional doctorate in um, elite sport. And um, a lot of my work there as well is, is at a high, high, high kind of level. So I must apologize for some of the jargon that I'm saying, um, but I do want to just 
um, reiterate that the main learning for me from sport to business is around being your authentic self. Um, I've always been known as a um, bit of a fearless kind of ask for forgiveness later. I'm a bit of a, I was always like that. Um, my first position in rugby was a, uh, an out half. So as a 10, a playmaker, take it to the line um, and then feed like my assist. And when I moved to Ireland, I was then a second playmaker, a third playmaker. Um, so 12 and 13. So what I loved to do was take it to the line and assist. But that's my favorite thing to do in rugby. I love the ball in hand, playmake, to put everyone else in the gap to score. So when my work off the pitch, that's what I do, and that's what I love doing. So I love the behind the scenes, assist, global go. And I love in front of the scenes to promote and highlight women's rugby. So um, I just find just being yourself is first and foremost the most important um, thing. And um, you then attract wonderful people like yourselves I'm in the room here with. Jesus. You learned a lot. I, I think in 14 years I learned just to be on time. You, you have to, you have to put me to shame there with, with everything you've picked up. And uh, it's, it, you know, and what a leader you now are, obviously, in, in terms of trying to pave the future for, um, for the next generation. So, um, congratulations. I'm in awe of you. I think leadership is a big part of business and growing businesses. So, and Ross, I want to ask you a little bit um, about. Andy Farrell, okay, because that's passed and, you know, uh, for the Grand Slam. And in terms of, I've spoken to a lot of players and coaches who work with him and they talk about the leader he is. Um, can you just tell us about what he's done to create this team who obviously have the ability to play but also seem to be connected in a way that um, is stronger than previous teams? Yeah, so I was, I was uh, in the squad under Joe, Joe Smith. Um, I suppose even the difference and how, as you say, they're connected or together the squad is now like I suppose the lads are genuinely great mates mm. um, I suppose to be fair to Andy the first thing I think he said when he came in was he wants everyone to be their self um, and I suppose he I think he loves the different characters in the squad um, like he loves lads that are a bit mental and quirky you can see that with like yeah. Mac you know what I mean like <laughs> Mac Hansen you know what I mean like he's bananas but like you have someone like him and then you probably have someone like me who's probably complete opposite of that, you know what I mean? So um, he loves everyone to be themselves, but he loves everyone then, to, I suppose, to, to come together. Um, and look, there's obviously lots and lots of detail and hard work that goes in with all of this as well. It's not all like joking, but there's a great balance between when we're on, we work really hard, but when we're off, we relax, we be ourselves, we get to know each other. It's very important, you know what I mean? So then when the game comes, when the tough times come, you probably dig in. I don't know, the extra 1%, it does make a difference. I know people think how much important, like is it important for a team to bond and all that stuff, but genuinely it does make a huge difference. Um, I think that's a big thing he's, he's driven and he hasn't gone away from that message at all. He's, he's continually driven that home. Yeah, I, suppose, I asked Johnny Sexton that question about who's the best coach he ever had. And he said, Joe Schmidt was the best coach, um, but Andy Farr is the best leader. Uh, and, he, and he gave the example. So Johnny said his personality, <coughs> loves someone like Joe Schmidt, who was holding people to account, um, very outcome-focused, uh, very process-focused. And he said his biggest learning as a, as a leader was after the 2019 World Cup was... So how Johnny explained it was, on a Sunday morning, if they were going to camp in Carton House on a Sunday night, he'd have his bag packed, and he'd be driving up the driveway of Carton House, so excited to get into camp to learn how to get better. But his, he found out after the World Cup that some people were actually at the gates going... I don't want to go in. 
Um, and there were only a few, but it only takes a few to, to affect it. And um, where Farrell has obviously made sure that it's uh, it's still everyone's held to account, but it's done in a nicer way. If uh, and that's that's hard in high performance sport. And um, I think what you mentioned there, Ross, about everyone being fr friends and being really close. Um, I'd love to, love to know from your experience in Azuri, how hard is it in business to create that sense of teamwork, teammanship, uh, connection that we all strive for in sport? You know, um, it's a challenge, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think you need to row everybody into the plan, you know, um, especially in a, in, a, in a business like ours. There's, there's 35 people, so whilst it, it, it's, not, it's not huge, it, it, is, it is a lot to manage and a lot of people, and everybody needs to be rowed into what, what the end objective is, you know. Um, it kind of, I remember when I was used to play with the water park youth rugby, and uh, we'd, we'd kind of captain teams there, and was very good at getting the team fired up before the match and all that. And then one day, and we 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 did we, we did really well, but then afterwards, we one, one time we got we got hammered, and the coach said, "Look, you're not at anything, Jack, if you can get the team motivated, but you can't work to a game plan or a strategy." And I think cluing cluing the, and that's true in rugby. It's also true in sport. Sorry, in in, in business. <coughs> If you bring everybody in into what you're trying to achieve, everyone is an important cog in that. Everybody is from your from your sales to your order processors to people who do your artworks to people who uh, physically make the jerseys to who dispatch them on time. You know, so we'll constantly have meetings that people know where they are, where we are versus our versus our versus our goals. You know, um, I think we could do better at this. Um, we're, we're far off here. Why do you think that is? Get get the, the input from the people on the ground as to why it's not working, as opposed to me just saying, you know, that's not good enough, why, why you know, uh, you need to do better. Here, what are the problems? Why, why is it not working? How, how can we help you get there? So bringing everybody in, showing them where we are, where we need to be, how we're going to get there, and getting their, their active kind of real-time feedback has been, has been crucial, you know? Right. Senny, what's the biggest challenge for you in terms of delivering on those really important messages and, and changes you want to make? What, what's what's holding you back, or what what, you, what what roadblocks are you coming across? Um, the roadblocks that uh, <coughs> people experience every day—it's it, just more. At the end of the day, is people. Sure. You know, just mindset shift, paradigms. But um, I might actually, if it's okay, just come back to the point on Joe Absolutely. Yeah. Schmidt. Yeah. yeah, and because it can probably feed into the answer, um, and it is around allyship. Um, especially in the work that I do, um, and certainly male allyship. Um, and Joe Schmidt would probably be one of my biggest ones in my work. So I was a former head of strategic projects and research for international rugby players, and my role was to collaborate with World Rugby in a number of different projects across the men's and women's game. So right now I do similar but in a different capacity as an individual consultant. In one of my first major projects, it was also the same year Joe Schmidt was High Performance Director in uh, World Rugby. Um, I remember sitting in the meeting, and here I am, small town girl from all New Zealand, Yuan here on the Zoom, you know. Um, and, you know, you kind of get that sense, you know, my emotional intelligence, I know, oh, yeah, I've got to be on here. Um, yeah, things are firing at you, and this, and it's grand, manage it. And Joe comes in, just empowers you to go for it. And... Um, I'll never forget that. And then we delivered one of the most successful kind of uh, development of one of the many, many projects um, World Rugby are doing and other organisations who are doing so well, um, which was the contact load back then. Sure. So there's a whole piece of work that we had to do in terms of developing that and, and how we had to gather the research and data and all that sort of stuff. So we did a lot of the background work 
but that kind of that process in itself oh the the way that he just knew and empowered me to support that lead of that project because it was my first big one together with Conrad Smith at the time Joe and a massive team um, and even in the process of I mean Ross will know when you when you've got like an outcome you've got to get something you have a leadership group meeting you go go through certain things and it was one of those things where everyone was on the same page so we actually got it done quite quick like relatively effectively quite efficient compared to historically other things might take longer because everyone's on different sort of there's a difference between diversity and you know making your decisions versus just aligned thinking and go so that was just an interesting thing there um in that piece of work and then to come back to your question which was about the challenges you face yeah <laughs> or the roadblocks so the roadblocks <laughs> sorry the roadblocks is when that that doesn't happen sure the roadblocks is the opposite and then you have to spend time and energy to get everyone to the place where you could have got there like six months ago. And then by then, you're already late. So you've got to work again even more. So sorry, that's my point. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm well made, well made. Um, Ross, I want to talk about pressure. Okay, so um, background. You've been out in the wilderness a little bit from Ireland. November, third test against Australia. You come on, what? How many minutes to go? 18 minutes? Uh, I think it's 10 minutes. 10 minutes, okay, right. Um, and you have a kick that's going to probably win the game or lose the game. Um, what's going through your mind? Uh, this is going to sound weird, but not much, to be honest. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, well, we had the scrum and... Uh, it's like me all the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, when this, the ball was going in the scrum, like, obviously, it's, we had a good attacking opportunity, but to be honest, all I was thinking was, like, Please get a penalty. Please really? get a penalty. Yeah. And then as soon as we got the penalty, like I was, well, as, as you said, look, I'd been out of the squad for so long, yeah. um, and probably in the past when I was a bit younger, I probably thought too much of, oh, if this goes wrong, or I probably thought a bit too much about the judgment of things. Whereas, like, I think I just said, look, if I ever get a chance again, I'm going for it, no matter what happens. You know what I mean? So I was just kind of like, hopefully we get a penalty here, and then as soon as the penalty was awarded, we had a bit of advantage, and I just pointed straight at the post and said, I'm going for this. And look, thankfully it went over and it's probably, it was a big moment for me. Um, and certainly enjoyed the, the night after. <laughs> <laughs> was there times when you were a little bit in the wilderness where you wondered, would you get that chance? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Oh, there was times where I was like, I'd never play for Arnold again. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. Um, like I think, it go, like we're all human at the end of the day. You know what I mean, there was times where I thought, oh, I should be in there. And then there's times where you think, oh, it's gone. Um, I suppose that's like that's what it's like being a professional sports person because it's so week to week. You know what I mean? You have such highs, such lows. Um, but like, have to be patient. And I'm not a very patient person. It's not easy to be patient in sport. I don't think either. Um, but yeah, I, that's what I just said to myself. If I get my chance, I'm just gonna go for it. And thankfully, went over. Yeah, because I remember Paul O'Connell used to use a quote: um, "The reason I trust myself is because I doubt myself." So basically. At certain times, he doubts himself, uh, and that leads him to working hard, or that leads him to, I suppose, prepping for those big moments. And then when it comes, he trusts himself to actually deliver. It, you know what I mean? Um, so I think, and listen to you, and, and asking, speaking to other people in elite sport, it's not like they believe in themselves all the time, but so those doubts actually help them be able to deliver the key moment. Yeah, I think a big thing that week probably as well. So I was only, I wasn't in the squad at all, and then I was got the call. I trained at Leinster on the Monday. I got the call. Half training, like four o'clock, 
uh, off Andy Farrell, like, will you come into camp just as cover? Um, I think Joey Carberry maybe got injured the week before. Mm. Uh, so I came in not expecting to play, just to be third choice cover, just in case something happened. The whole week went fine, so I was covered. Then the game was Saturday night. Um, I was just doing the warm-up, not playing. I was kicking with Johnny, actually, uh, for probably about five, ten minutes. And then he stopped kicking, and I was like, yeah, all right. And he was kind of, I think it was his calf was at him, and he was like, yeah, I don't know. So I went inside, and I was kind of like, what's going on here? Am I in? Am I not? Um, and then, obviously, I was, I was in. But I suppose what I said to myself as well was, even though I didn't think, I, it was like, I don't know what the percentages of when you're, the reserve of playing, but it's very low. But I did all the preparation as if I was playing, because I just said, you may never get a chance, and I'd rather do all the prep and not play than, if I got that opportunity and I didn't do any of the mental prep, I'd be probably standing over the wall going, oh Jesus Christ, hopefully this goes over as opposed to it's going over. Like, um, So that was probably a big thing that I learned as well, just as you said there, trust you've done the prep. That was, that was a big lesson. Um, do you prefer stadium quiet or cheering or booing when you're taking that kick to win a game for Ireland? Uh, I never really thought about that. No. Yeah. It'd be weird if it was booing now. Yeah, well, they, they do. Go to France. Go play top 14 in France. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think it really... Yeah. I, I played you don't France even notice. I think the claps in France is quite good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't think it really makes, makes a difference. Yeah. I asked just uh, interesting. I asked Johnny Sexton that question and he said one or the other. But he said he remembers the last time they played Australia uh, back four or five years ago. I think he had a newborn at home and the stadium was quiet and he put the ball down next thing he heard a baby crying and he said he said he's going why is that baby here that baby should be at home it's nine o'clock whatever and, and, uh, and he said he just couldn't like he's practiced doing lots of things to get out of his head but he just couldn't clear his head shanked it wide whatever so uh one or, one or the other um we asked jack about the family dynamics and working with your family you've got your brother competing with for the same position i mean how difficult is that Probably harder for our parents. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you competitive with each other? Oh yeah, yeah. But we've been competitive since we were playing in the back garden, you know what I mean? Or could be playing table tennis, you know what I mean? We're still yeah. competitive or golf, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Like um we've always been competitive, but we're also best mates like. Okay. Um so it's yeah, it is weird. Like some of the lads can't get their head around it. They're just like, How does this work? Like, you know what I mean? But uh, it kind of, it is what it is and it pushes us on. Um, but like, I suppose even the last couple of weeks, obviously we've both been involved in the games and like, we'd both be in the meetings deciding what's going to happen or discussions, you know what I mean? Both kind of leading the team. So I suppose from that perspective, it's also quite special, like, because you don't really get two brothers playing together. It doesn't really happen in professional sport that much. Um, and we've actually played together quite a bit as well on the pitch, um, which I think my parents, my mum particularly is delighted when we're on the pitch together as opposed to one or the other. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like everything, look, it has its ups and it has its ends. Okay, last question from all of you and then we'll open it up to the floor. Um, Senna, what's the one thing from sport you think is going to help you uh, in your career? One. Okay. Um, sorry. Okay. I'll start with the no, first no. Half. Answer a few. Answer a few. Uh, one. A couple. The big things. Probably. I said it before, um, okay. which is be yourself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Be yourself. Bring your full self. Perfect. Jack. Same question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think for me it was about I was I was a very kind of shy young fella and I, I think. What I've taken from it is just learning to work work with people. Uh, it's made me more social. 
it's maybe more approachable, um, and it's uh, especially when you're when you're trying to to, to manage a lot of people, um, you you realise that you can't you can't do it all. You have to you have to rely on other people, so you have to trust other people as well. And I think that's um, probably the best thing that I've taken out of it. Um, I was just to, to be a team player, but um, being a team player means trusting your team, you know, um, because you, you have to, you know, if you can't be looking over your shoulder, everybody else's shoulder, so you know, um, trusting them to, to, to do the to do the job and and where there's problems, um, uh, you, you work together, you solve them, and you get through it. Okay, Ross, Starfolio becomes the next unicorn. What's the what's the big thing from sport that helps you get there? Probably my competitiveness. <laughs> um, I think they're very similar to, to what Jack's saying there. Like in terms of a big thing in sport is like I find to get the best out of myself, I need to get the best out of the others. Um, and I think if you make people feel feel good, um, they'll work harder and they'll be more effective. Um, and then in turn, that's going to make you better. So I think that's probably the biggest thing. Okay, perfect. So actually, just one more question. Sorry for us, because I listened to a podcast yesterday with Craig Doyle, and I remember speaking to a few of the players after the week of the French game. Um, so you, you might just tell us about, so I suppose Brian and, and Dr. Davy Arwen and Craig Doyle come in that week um, and explaining what do, they, what, what do they do that I suppose helped create that connection. Yeah, so obviously they came in, obviously they did the documentary, I'm not sure how long it was ago, but obviously about the, the difference between, I suppose, the north and the south of Ireland and how, I suppose in football, we have Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland, Whereas rugby, it's it's one team, um, and obviously the the documentary and when they spoke to us about, I suppose when lads were up north and they'd be coming down to training and or they'd be coming down to play in Dublin and they were, they were telling stories of how if an Ulster player would come down and or he was playing at the weekend and his parents would come down, they would sit in a different seat every game because they'd be feared they might be targeted because their son was involved in the uh, the police up north. Um, so I suppose it was, it was a lot of stuff around that and for, like obviously I'm aware of, a lot of us who grow up in Dublin or different areas of the south are aware of what's happened but I suppose it really hit home there that we were kind of going, geez we thought there was pressures of playing for Ireland and there was players playing for Ireland and they're probably in the back of their mind going, I hope my parents are alive or not being targeted like. Um, and that was probably a big thing and then I suppose even around Ireland's call, they spoke a lot about that and like it's not the, the nicest sounding anthem but it, I suppose for us it was what it actually means to them that it's um, how inclusive it is for everyone, the whole island um, and I think it really hit home with a lot of us and some of the senior players spoke, um, you know what I mean, Paul O'Connell spoke, Keith Earl spoke about how maybe earlier on in their careers they were probably very against it, you know what I mean, they were, sure. no, 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 I'm very Republican but towards the end of their career, how much it means to everyone in Ireland um, and how important that song is. And it definitely, definitely struck a big nerve and I think it definitely changed, changed my mindset completely. Um, and it's, it's definitely, I think it made a big difference, definitely brought the teams together. Yeah, and I think the successful teams that I've been involved in are, are looked at externally. Um, they either really understand their own history or they're very focused on creating history. And um, it's, a, it's a huge driver of, of effort and, and momentum. So look, I think, that's enough questions for me. We'll ask the people who have uh, uh, more intelligence and more IQ. So I'll just open up the floor, please. Just because you want to get all these on, um, on, a, on the pod, if you just wait till the microphone comes over before you ask the question. And um, we'd like it to... Thanks, Bernard. Uh, Ivan from Tappy Tag. Um, question for Ross. 
Love Starfolio, by the way. Um, fantastic. How have you gone about recruiting the stars and challenges? You were saying that you've had a bit of pushback from agencies, but surely it's a beautiful bolt-on for agencies. Um, what, uh, yeah, what challenges have you come across? Uh, I suppose reaching out to the stars, it's just been a lot of time. Um, it's just been reaching out to them over LinkedIn, Instagram, contacts, uh, which has been... I mean, it was very time-consuming, um, which we're still doing. Uh, obviously, it's a lot easier now because obviously we're we're in the public eye and, and people are a lot more aware of it. Um, and I suppose other challenges, I suppose even for brands and fans, is just kind of, for us, I suppose, is trying to show people, make it very simple for people where some people probably are a little bit confused as to what we are. Uh, so I suppose that's why we probably changed a lot of our messaging from the start. Um, so now it's very clear exactly what we do. Uh, and I suppose from the, the agency's, uh, side of things. I suppose a big thing which we've actually built recently is an agent dashboard, which is great. So uh, if I'm an agent and I had 10 clients, uh, I can just log in on my email, my agent login, and I can build all of my clients' profiles. So their clients actually don't even ever have to be on the platform. So for them, it would work the exact, their relationship wouldn't change with the client. If anything, we'd just be bringing them more leads because obviously we're very aware that agents have brilliant relationships with different brands or PR companies and we're, we don't want to stop any of that. We just want to bring them more leads they might not have got in the past. Anyone else? Um, sorry, it's probably a question for Ross again, but if anyone else wants to answer. Um, you talk there, uh, I'm, I'm Ariana Dunn from Irish Country Magazine, but I'm training for an amateur MMA fight at the moment and I was talking this morning about mindset and you mentioned there about the mental prep that you that you took part in before doing that game, you obviously physically warmed up, but can you take us through your, your mental prep as well, if, if that's possible? Giving away the trade secrets, man. <laughs> <laughs> you have to book him through Starfolio. Yeah. <laughs> Masterclass. <laughs> uh, like, I suppose it's probably quite different for, like rugby's a very technical game, um, particularly the position I do, so like there'd be a lot of work we do during the week and a lot of different analysis, so, I suppose the biggest thing for me is I try and box a lot of that stuff early, box that off early on in the week. Um, so then come towards the end of the week, I can do my own mental preparation. And like a lot of that might be different imagery of the game, of you know what I mean? If it's taking a kick or visualizing different things um, or different scenarios, what if, how I might react to a different scenario. So because um, I think the mental side of things, is it's getting bigger and bigger in sport. Um, and I think even you see teams now, how many teams now have like uh, psychologists um, and I think it's so important just to be in the right headspace. Um, and so many different things in the world now with phones that can distract you and take you out of the perfect mindset or your best mindset for one, two percent. So for me, it's just trying to be in the, the best headspace possible. So just want to thank my panel, guys, Ross, Jack, Senny, and thank you for um, your, your attendance here and, and your interest and also Breed, the team for Guaranteed Irish and our sponsor, FBD. So thank you very much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this special episode of the Guaranteed Irish Business Podcast live from the Stella Theatre. Thank you to our guest host, Bernard Jackman, and our fantastic panel, Senny Naopu, Jack Malloy, and Ross Byrne, for sharing their insights with us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like it and share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you are listening, as we have another special live episode coming next week on the power of influencer marketing with guest host Anna Daly. So stay tuned for that. The Guaranteed Irish Business Podcast, sponsored by FBD Insurance, Ireland's largest homegrown insurer. Support. It's what we do.